Almighty God and Father, we glorify you and praise you this day for all of your good gifts, especially the very best gift of all, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for whose reason we are gathered here tonight. Bless us as we remember him and as we glorify you through him. Bless your word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may not be familiar with the translation of the gospel reading. This is on the back of your bulletin. It's inside your bulletin as well. Uh, it's Young's literal translation. It's not one that I recommend uh, for reading aloud, <laughs> but I selected it tonight uh, because it actually reads the way the Greek language, it's really the closest to the way the Greek language itself reads. And uh, verse 19 to me is really key. Thy faith hath saved thee. It's hard to find a translation that takes it that literally. Usually the translations will say something like, um, your faith has made you well, okay? Because the context here is one of healing. But there's actually a deeper context, a broader context at work, and that is salvation itself. And so literally the word in the Greek, sozo, uh, is to save. And so I think a literal translation here is warranted. And I would uh, draw your attention to a few other words as well. In verse 11, uh, notice, uh, this is a participle in the Greek, his going on to Jerusalem, his journeying to Jerusalem, He's on uh, the path to crucifixion and resurrection. This is his mission. This is why he came. So he's traveling. This is the travel narrative. And uh, notice the parallel in verse 19 where he says to the Samaritan, having risen, be going on. Uh, it's a imperative, a command in the Greek, journey. It's just one word, journey. Okay. And uh, one commentator suggested, and I'm inclined to agree, uh, it can be taken as an invitation to follow, uh, as in journey with me. You don't have to take it that way. Uh, most uh, modern translations uh, would, would say, arise, uh, go your way, as if it's a different direction than our Lord. Uh, I take it the other way, that I think it's an invitation to follow. To Jerusalem. That's just my opinion. Uh, notice also verse 12. I like this translation very literal. Again, it's not the easiest thing to read, but it's very accurate. There met him ten leprous men. Every other translation will say ten lepers, as if these these people are defined by their illness. Uh, no, they are they are men, first and foremost, made in God's image gifted by God, and they happen to have leprosy as well. So I prefer 10 leprous men as a translation. And then verse 14, and having seen them, and this is so important, you know, that, that word for it, when God sees you, when the Lord Jesus sees you, uh, you're in the clover, okay? You are, you're being blessed. Uh, it, it reminds me of that uh, scene where God is speaking with Moses uh, in Exodus 3. And he said, 
I have heard the cry of my people. And then he says, Moses writes, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God saw, God saw them, and then he acts, you see. So when God sees you, when he lays eyes on you, and when you read that in the scriptures, it's, it's a salvific phraseology. It's denoting salvation, having seen them. He said to them, having gone on, show yourselves to the priest. This is not an admonition to thank God. It's an admonition to be readmitted to society. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Verse 16, giving thanks to him. This is what the one Samaritan did. Uh, the Greek word there, eucharisteo, to, to give thanks. It's used here in the New Testament of Jesus, the only time it's used of Jesus in the New Testament. This word, to give thanks, Eucharisteo, is always used of God himself. You give thanks to God. Here the Samaritan is giving thanks to Jesus. Just a, a tip-off here that maybe we're, we're dealing with a man who's more than a man. And then verse 18, there were not found who did turn back to give glory to God except this alien. The word found there is a salvation word. There is one who was found to turn back. Turning back is a salvation word, denoting repentance. It's used in other contexts with regard to repentance. But remember Luke 15. The lost sheep is found the lost son is found. The lost coin is found. These are salvation words here. And so I think the emphasis here is, is more than just simply being healed of a disease. As, I don't mean to imply that's, that's nothing at all. It is significant. But the greater context is salvation. That's what's taking place. So Roman numeral number one, leprosy united the ten men. They were united in their illness. And sometimes when nothing else can draw people together, suffering will. And we know from later in the text that one of these men was a Samaritan, implying that the other nine were Jews. And you may recall from your Bible history, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. They lived apart. It was apartheid. They were hostile toward one another. But the illness had overcome the hostility, evidently. They're living together. They even speak together with one voice. Point A, they're sharing an experience, and that experience is one of isolation. Notice we read in verse 12, they stood afar off. That was proper for someone with leprosy. You keep your distance, you see. But they share this experience, and, and as St. Paul writes in Philippians, I want to know Christ. 
the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Even suffering creates fellowship. If you've lost a loved one, you may find it easier to relate to another who has. There's a bond there, a fellowship created through suffering of all things. So it creates fellowship. They share the experience. When you share an experience with someone, you know them. And point B, they make with one voice an open-ended request. I've heard of open-ended questions. I've never heard of an open-ended request, but I just invented it. And so, uh, to me, it means this, all right? Uh, it's very general and nonspecific. They're not asking for healing. They could. But they're asking for whatever this man, Jesus, might be willing to give. It could be alms. It could be clothing, something else. It could be healing. But they leave it wide open for the Lord to do whatever he wills. I like that attitude. Rather than, well, maybe dictating is too harsh a word, but rather than telling the Lord what we want, leaving the request open-ended. Kind of like, thy will be done, as we learn in the Lord's Prayer. And point C, illness knows no boundaries. Knows no boundaries. But neither does God's compassion. Neither does his kindness, his mercy. It knows no boundaries. It overcomes boundaries. Jesus is traveling toward Jerusalem along the boundary between, Jerus uh, between Galilee and Samaria. I don't know, he could be crisscrossing, going back and forth. But he overcomes boundaries. His mercy overcomes boundaries, ethnic boundaries and others. And cleansing restored them to community life. And so the word here is not healing, it's cleansing, because when you're unclean, you're unfit for association. And the real tragedy of leprosy or any other disease that isolates is simply that. You're divorced from the community. You're on the outside looking in. So the real benefit is that they're going to be with their friends and their family again. Roman numeral two, if leprosy united the ten men, kindness or mercy divided them. Divided them. Or rather, their response to the mercy divided them. It, it divided them geographically, and it divided them spiritually. Only one returns. Point A, only one returned and was found to acknowledge God. So, question. Do you think Jesus was expecting thanks? What do you think? Was he expecting to be thanked? Proper etiquette. 
Russell just gave me some thank you notes. I, once in a while I use those, but I confess I'm not very good about using them. I don't use them as often as I should. I think Jesus does expect thanks. Verse 17. And Jesus answering said, Were not the ten cleansed? And the nine? Where? There were not found who did turn back to give glory to God except this alien. Evidently, he was expecting some thanks. But it was not for his sake, but for theirs. Love never seeks its own. It always seeks the well-being of the other. If Jesus expects thanks, it's for your sake, not his. Because in returning thanks, you are shaped, you're molded. You are remembering who the giver is. You're not reminding God that he needs to give. He does that automatically. We need the reminders to return thanks. So he expects it for their sake. Point B, what's special about this Samaritan man, this alien? He recognized God at work in the person of Jesus Christ. His faith was faith that through Jesus, God would do his thing. Through Christ, God would heal. Through Christ, God would deliver. Through this man, God would reveal his grace and his mercy to all humanity, even a Samaritan. Crossing the boundary, that's grace. And his faith in God at work through Jesus Christ, that faith saved him, according to the text. Verse 19. So how should one respond to the mercy of God, to the blessings, to the gifts of God? Exactly as the Samaritan did, at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of Christ recognizing that he is the one through whom God will save and bless and deliver. I like the way Paul put it in Ephesians 5, and this is all over the New Testament. We give thanks to God in the name of Jesus. That means we give thanks to God through the person of Jesus, crucified and risen for us all. That's proper etiquette before God is to approach him through Christ, to talk to him in the name of Christ, to bless him and glorify him through Jesus. Why? Because through Jesus and through Jesus alone, he does everything for you and for me. It's through Christ and no other. He is God's, now I don't want to use the term broker, you know, a broker is a go-between, right? A, a mediator. Someone through whom God contacts you and touches you and delivers you. And what better person than the God-man himself? So, application. Point number three. All ten were cleansed. God's not stingy with his gifts. Temporal gifts are a given 
automatically, or they, they are given automatically. They're automatic. That's how good God is. I like the way Luther puts it in the small catechism below. Give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? God certainly gives daily bread to everyone, even without our prayers, even to all evil people. But we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. Again, it's not our prayers that remind God that he needs to give. Through our prayers, we are reminded that he is the giver. We're the ones who tend to forget. And our Lord, Matthew 6, quoted below, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's not a conditional statement. Don't read it as if, oh, if I seek first the kingdom, if I'm good enough and diligent enough in doing that, then all these things will be added. No, he just said all these things are automatic. And when you realize that they're automatically given by God to all people, then striving after them does not become an obsession. But rather, you will remember to seek the one thing you're likely to forget, and that's the reign of God, the gracious kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, you see. Seek that which you are tending to forget, and all these other things are taken care of anyway. That's the meaning of our Lord. I don't know about you, but sometimes I am like the nine. Sometimes I don't acknowledge the goodness of God as I should. In fact, often I do not. I'm, I, it's much easier for me to plead for mercy than it is to afterward thank him for it. I suppose many of us are the same way. But let me ask you this question. Do you think it's too late to turn around? Do you think it's too late to go back like the Samaritan and be found as one who glorified God and gave thanks to God at the feet of Jesus, through Jesus, in the name of Jesus? That's God's etiquette. You know, I was reading about uh, the Queen of England and uh, Her Majesty and how to approach her, and, and there's very strict rules about that. You don't turn your back on the Queen. You don't touch the Queen. You don't shake her hand unless she extends her hand to you. And then you don't pump it, okay? And, you know, you don't do it in a vice grip. Uh, sometimes, no, I won't say. I won't say. Sometimes my hand's kind of sore uh, after a Sunday service. But you know what? I'd rather have a vice grip than a limp wrist. All right? So I, I just appreciate your presence. But there's etiquette to meet the queen. There's etiquette to be in the Supreme Court. There's certain ways you behave at the Supreme Court or in a regular court here in the county. There's certain court etiquette. I was reading about that as well. There's etiquette everywhere, right? That's the way we function. God is no different. God's etiquette is very simple. You approach him in Christ. You give thanks to him in the name of Christ. You glorify him through Jesus Christ. 
And it's not too late to do that for any of us today. I like the way St. Paul put it in 2 Corinthians. Now is the time of his favor. Today is the day of salvation. How do we thank God? Through Christ. Why? Because everything he does for you is through that man. And nothing he does for you is without that man. Now, if that is your faith, then what Jesus said to the Samaritan, I now say to you, arise. Be going on. Be going on with him. Your faith has saved you. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.